Welcome back to the Oklahoma Today podcast, bringing you all the best our state has to offer. This week is the first of our two-week Killers of the Flower Moon extravaganza, as we talk with Osage journalist Mason Whitehorn Powell, who went behind the scenes of the film and interviewed director Martin Scorsese for a story that will appear in our next issue. But first, a word from our sponsor. You are called to be bold. You have a right to the best wireless service, high-speed internet, and customer service at a price that you can feel good about. At Bravado Wireless, we know this, and that's why we put you and your community first. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection. All right, for our question of the week was time, uh, this time we stuck with the theme, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, and we asked you what story from Oklahoma history interests you the most. First up, Editor-in-Chief Nathan Gunner. I think it's fair to say that after the last three weeks, or the last four years of working <laughs> on this story, you'll hear it in the interview with Mason, like we literally figured out that we've been working on this story since 2019, Yeah, was the first time we talked about it. Um, I think it's fair to say at this point that I'm legitimately obsessed with the Osage Reign of Terror. Um, the, every time I read that story, I get more upset. And like you'd think, usually the effect of, you guys know this, the effect of reading something time, like how many times do we read things when we are putting a magazine together? Hundreds, right? Like yeah. we read and read and read and read and read. And like usually after a while, the effect wears off, for me at least. Like, you know, you just get used to... It's like jumping in a cold pool, yeah. right? But like this one, man, like every time I read it, it kind of gets harder to read for me. And I don't know exactly why. I'm still kind of thinking my way through that. But it's, it's hard stuff. It is a really, really, really hard story. Um, and so that's why I'm really, um, I don't want to use the word excited, but I can't think of a different word. I'm anticipating this movie a lot because I think it's unbelievable that this is something that actually happened. That like someone came up with this plan and like thought it was okay is beyond baffling to me. Yeah. So, um, and just that, that we had a country that, we, that people did this kind of thing and do this kind of thing to minorities because they think they're entitled to it is unbelievable. It's like, how, how do you even get there in your mind? So I'm, I'm, it's fair to say I'm kind of obsessed with this story. I'm reading a John Joseph Matthews book, who's an Osage writer right now, and um, <clears throat> just kind of learning more about the background and the culture. And I, I think it's fair to say it's becoming an obsession. Yeah. Yeah. So that's mine. Okay. Carly Ibarra. Um, so I just think, like, I took Oklahoma history, like most people who grew up in Oklahoma, and, um, we learn a lot about the state, but there are several things that I have discovered since working at Oklahoma State that I didn't know about, and I just, I'm excited to find out what I don't know, Mm. like, to uncover the next you know, chapter in Oklahoma history that we haven't heard before. Hopefully it's not as negative <laughs> as well. Killers of the Flower Moon yeah. or the Tulsa Race Massacre, things yeah. like that. But I think that there are some really, really fascinating uncovered stories that I look forward to, to learning. Agree. Uh, I seem to remember that uh, next summer we will have a feature from you about Alfalfa Bill Murray, our yes. first governor. That's going to be fun. I'm sure he's got a <laughs> lot of stories. I bet he does. I bet he does. That's going to be good. Uh, photo editor Megan Rossman. Um, I like Quanah Parker. Ooh, good one. Uh, mm-hmm. He was the chief of the Quahadi, uh, a band of Comanche Indians, and he lived in Oklahoma. I mean, yeah, he was a cool guy. I liked him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not gonna get into what is what all is the, the name? He did. The name of the book, the Summer Moon, Empire of the Summer Moon. Yeah, yeah. if you want to learn about him, that's a fantastic yeah, that was a great book. book. It was a really really good book. Yeah, I like that. Uh, research editor <laughs> Ben Lucian. <laughs> well, it's impossible to pick uh, just one. I mean, there's so many, especially um, through my work as a research editor. It's just um, you get to really do some deep dives into a lot of historical topics. 
So there's uh, whatever feature we're working on at the time is like my current obsession. <laughs> um, one one thing I'm gonna shout out um, that you know the Civil War in Oklahoma. Yeah. So many people um, sort of look over Oklahoma's role, or they they pass it off as uh, something that wasn't uh, really major, and maybe in the grand scheme of like how people are, are normally taught the Civil War. That's probably true, mm-hmm. but uh, Oklahoma's uh, as uh, Indian territory and just um, the dynamics um, with the uh, the tribal nations trying to figure out how they were um, how they were positioning themselves um, between you know the Union and the Confederacy uh, is really fascinating to me. Um, so I think uh, yeah that whole period of um, what was going on in uh, Indian territory at that time is really interesting to me. Absolutely, good answer. What about you, Greg? I uh, I guess my mine's so much less consequential than you guys. Uh, I have whole always. I think that's probably good. This has gotten a little heavy, so I'm, I'm excited to hear this. I've always been really fascinated with the. Uh, Stealing of the state capital from it's Guthrie. It's a great story. Um, yeah, and I, you know, it sort of it reminds me like in the dead of the night, like the Colts leaving Baltimore. You know, it mm-hmm. just, it, but but it's such a. This feels like a Wild West story because so much of of everything seems so established and settled now, mm-hmm. and the idea that at the beginning of the state that things were still so up in the air that the capital could change. Yeah. Um, and that easily, yeah, with something that simple. Oh well, I yeah. mean, there were there were votes. I think yeah. a lot of people. It's oh, they just you know they came in the middle of the night and stole it. Right. No, there were there were votes. Right. It was put to vote of the people. That vote <laughs> was actually disregarded, and then they did another vote, and the people chose Oklahoma City again. <laughs> and that's when it you know. But yeah, the the seal was taken in the middle yeah. of the night. Guthrie was still pretty salty about it. One thing that a lot of people don't know is that Shawnee was also in the conversation. Really? Shawnee wanted to be the state capital. Um, and uh, kind of burnish their reputation. So, yeah, I, that, that whole thing is really interesting to me. And so much of, like, early Oklahoma government really is, like... It's a heck of a story. There's a, yeah. It's a bunch of, like, grown-up kids uh, <laughs> who are making up the rules and screwing things up. And, I mean, we had governors who were elected and impeached and thrown out of office mm-hmm. and all sorts of crazy stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So... Uh, we had uh, lots and lots, lots of great of, answers. Lots of people. I think a couple people even said what you just said, Greg. Uh, yeah, there were some yeah, good ones. Yeah. yeah, there were some really good ones. Uh, Steve Freeman said the Tulsa Massacre. Tulsa Race Massacre yeah. is a big one. Uh, Marilyn McSpadden said the Trail of Tears, which is, yeah. um, I, I think, a fairly well-told story, but yeah. it's still one that, it, so much like a lot of American history, it, we sort of only think about the highlights yeah. and you know it's like oh yeah they got that statue and then you're like uh, yeah, yeah there's a little more to it I wish they would call it the Trails of Tears because yes. there were many yeah. it wasn't just one yeah uh, Margaret Miller Adcock uh, shouted out uh, one of my favorite stories that came from you uh, the Dead Woman Crossing yep. uh, in Weatherford a couple people said that that was yeah. exciting I was I was happy to see that uh, Noel Crowley uh, mentioned coal towns we had a lot of people who wanted to know about uh, this is exciting because we yeah. have a feature coming about that next year about coal mining history in fact I kind of wanted to go through these comments and like drop links to all the stories because literally <laughs> all of them have a story in Oklahoma today, or yeah. will. Yeah, and so yeah. that's exciting. Uh, the Abernathy Boys, that was brought up by <laughs> a few a people. Uh, Julie Danley Snyder said that one. Ju- uh, Judith Roselle wanted to know more about the land run. Uh, land yeah. run, again, the land, land runs. runs. Yeah. Uh, Oklahoma had a bad case of the land runs. Um, <laughs> uh, T.S. Akers said the Green Corn Rebellion. Uh, yeah, it's a good one. Uh, yeah. It's a heck of a story. Uh, and and uh, even just the naming behind it, it's like, yeah, they were uh, 
literally just eating not ripe corn because mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't have anything else. Um, Jason Meyer said uh, the uh, Red River Bridge War. Uh, we had a story about that last really what, last yeah. year, two Couple years, years ago, ago, something. Yeah, yeah. It was a really good story. Uh, uh, the your where end we line beat on Texas. That. <laughs> <laughs> the end line on that one I loved so much. Uh, you know, war is heck. Uh, Roy Dean mentioned the Dust Bowl. What happened to the families who stayed in Oklahoma? What happened to the families who moved west? How did they overcome the challenges of the Dust Bowl storms, the Depression, World War II? How are those families' descendants doing today? Lots the heck of, of the yeah. story. A lot of good questions. Uh, Sherry Shoemaker uh, mentioned the 39 Nations. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and this one, uh, uh, Mel Pumayugra. Said, What's up, Melly Mel, uh, my what, buddy? What happened at Native American boarding schools and the yes. research that's now coming out? My great grandmother allegedly attended one, but I believe we will find that many children never made it out alive. Yep. So, lots and lots of uh, stuff like that. Oh, and uh, this one I, I also really appreciated. Kelly Pennington uh, mentioned No Man's Land. Yeah. Uh, oh, which, the Panhandle. Yeah. What a story. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, let's let's get into uh, the story of Killers of the Flower Moon with Mason Whitehorn Powell. All right, I'm so excited about this. We are talking to Mason Whitehorn Powell today, uh, Osage writer, uh, Brooklyn Law School law student, future lawyer, uh, and author of our story about the Killers of the Flower Moon film that is releasing soon. Mason, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm so so excited for people to read your piece. Thank you for having me on and uh, allowing me the opportunity to. Are you uh, kidding me? I'm subject. stoked. I am. People won't have read this, you know, won't have gotten to readers yet when this comes out. So it's all very anticipatory. But listeners, if you've never, if you seriously haven't picked up an issue yet, you're going to want this one because Mason is an Osage writer writing about Killers of the Flower Moon and the Osage Reign of Terror. Mason, what was it like? You know, there's a journalistic side to this, to what you have done here. And then there's just sort of this personal very personal for you side to this story. So what was it like diving into this story for you? Like what, how did that, how did that, what was that like for you? It's still going on. I should know for listeners too, like we're still working on it. Yeah, we are. I would, say, <laughs> I would say without a doubt, this has been both the most challenging and rewarding um, piece of writing that I've had the privilege to do. I don't know how much people know about the process or what it's like being a journalist so maybe yeah. i can shed some light on that and yeah. normally you're able to be very distanced from your subject you know you're able to do a lot of research yeah uh, whether that's you know just online and in books or in person through interviews and then you just sort of take all of this material and uh turn it into a story and try to tell a story for me this was more introspective and it's it's strange but this whole process has been a process where i'm really looking in and trying to discover what this story means to me what it means for um osages because you know it's good to say this on the podcast because it's not addressed in the article i can't speak for everyone you know everybody has different perspective different opinions events of the past what's going on today yeah. Uh, what Grand's book means to them, uh, what this film will mean to them. Yeah. So I tried to still keep that same distance, but it's difficult when you're thinking about the place you grew up. And Absolutely, yeah. And writing uh, about things that happened to people in your family, right? So that's a very interesting question and something that I haven't even researched in writing this article. It's a little bit beyond the scope. There's a character, Charles Whitehorn, or people called him Charlie Whitehorn. Um, 
I say a character in the book, but this is a real individual who was murdered. You know, David Graham yeah. documented it very well, was murdered for his head right. And um, it's very unclear what the relation is to my family because my lineage, I'll just go on the record here, you know, Maria Whitehorn's my mother. Uh, Osages will know this stuff, you know. Yeah. A, <laughs> to all the Osage listeners, hey. <laughs> David Whitehorn is my grandfather. His grandfather is Sam Whitehorn. And then there's Kahikanashe, who's, uh, you know, the original um, family member who came to occupy Osage County when wow. the tribe made that move and um, never took a white name. So hmm. I've heard of Uncle Charlie and I've heard of Charlie Whitehorn, but I think that's a distinct person. So, yeah. no, I, th I think this this raises an important point that this is a story that a lot of people don't talk about or didn't talk about growing up, you know? Yeah. So uh, yesterday when I was texting, when you and I were texting yesterday and I was at the doctor's office, you know, right before that conversation, I had spoken to, I was checking in, you know, with the receptionist and somehow the topic of this movie, she asked me what I did for a living and it got into somehow the topic, topic of this movie came up and she hadn't heard of it. She had no idea. She handed me a post-it note. It was like, write down all the details so I can go see it when it opens. And I'm just like, okay. And I did it, you know, and I was happy to do it. But like, I was like, how have you not heard about, I feel like this is all I've heard about for like two years. Yeah. I would say amazing being to me. I would say being from Oklahoma City or Tulsa or small communities yeah. such as uh, being from Osage County like I am, um, you know, we've learned so much within the past, let's say, five years about the Tulsa race massacre, yeah. about the, the Osage reign of terror. And so for us, we hear about this all the time, but, uh, you know, these stories are spreading all over the nation and all over the world you know I, I live in Brooklyn now and here in New York almost everybody has heard of the Tulsa race massacre at this point you know through the work of reporters and other media mainly mm -hmm. um, yeah maybe through Watchmen marginally but I think probably that was part of it yeah yeah but uh still people don't know about the reign of terror you know mm -hmm. even with Grant's book even being such a huge bestseller yeah, you know, not a lot of people have heard this story, and I'm interested to see how the film's release will change that. I yeah, I think it will. You talked something, you said something along those lines in the piece. You talk about you know it remains to be seen. Some the line is something like it remains to be seen how all this is going to affect the Osage Nation and the Osage people. You know, having this story told and getting this name out there where it's known. You know, this story and the name Osage out there where it's known a little bit more um can you say can you talk, say a few things about that about what it's like for osage people because it has to be a mixed bag in my like if i'm thinking of if i'm trying to get into that mindset if i'm trying to see it through through right. your eyes there's on one hand you're like thank goodness this is finally being told and also it has to be painful okay so without spoilers obviously right. <laughs> right, yeah. the film is incredibly painful and yeah. i think there's a universal uh, feeling that's captured there that you don't have to be Osage to understand that pain. Right. And, yeah. And the um, just the terror of it all. I I don't know if we've edited uh, that word out. You know, I was just going over the draft now, but yeah. really they call it the reign of terror. But it's a form of terrorism when yeah. group of people in secret, you know, are taking over a community. And mm -hmm. yeah, but back to your question. Um, I think this is one of the most complicated questions when I started writing this piece, this idea of notoriety, because on the one hand, it was notoriety in the first place. 
that allowed settlers to come in. You know, it was a lot of, there was a lot of publicity at the time. Yeah. That we mentioned in the piece. Uh that brings, you know, hundreds and eventually thousands of people to these tiny communities, you know. And a lot of these people are looking for work. So as an Osage, you know, I I have an understanding that, you know, we we lived even then in an assimilated world. Mm-hmm. And people took advantage of that. But on the other hand, a lot of people were working for Osages, mm-hmm. living in their homes as nannies uh nurses drivers you know and so there was this economy that was established but that that same notoriety um brought a lot of bad things with it and yeah i will i will say also it was a different time and place so i think the tulsa race massacre the reign of terror it's almost unthinkable now but it's not that long ago and you still feel the effects so the question is today is that notoriety good or bad and speaking with Osages in private, there are a lot of um, mixed opinions on what that notoriety will bring or what it really means to us. Or, yeah. you know, people think we're just dragging up stuff from the past that shouldn't be talked about. But, you know, what's what's really the purpose of reliving these painful events rather than focusing on the present and right. trying to move forward? But yeah, and I loved I, that was a part of your piece that I really loved too. Is that you did get into present day, you know, not just the film, but also like and there's a line in the story that says something like the the reign of terror is still evident. Yeah, in Osage communities and among the Osage people, you know, there are still effects like literal. And you get into it. I don't want to ruin the story too much for people, but there you you talk a lot about like some of the specific legal and economic things that are still going on. That yeah that literally link right back to these events? Well, as a law student, this is very important to me. Um, I don't know where I will end up, you know, less than a year from now with my degree. But there are ongoing legal battles with the tribe from various uh, entities and actors, I'll put it that way, who are, it's really still about the land. It's still all about the money. And people are fighting to uh, not necessarily do away with the head right system or anything as big as that. I think one could make that leap and say that there are um, there are certain uh, interests they would like to see the head right estate and the minerals trust undone. Yeah, but I really think um, we do have. Uh, legal protection in that regard but still you know there's like um you know i talk about um minerals council chairman everett waller in the piece who's in the movie movie. (laughs) yeah it's seen as one of the best scenes in the film i can't wait for you to see it but uh he's had this legal battle now going on uh it probably started around i don't know now now i'm a journalist here without the facts but (laughs) it's been going on you know for a number of years now and it's about the wind farms and so an energy company came in and built uh wind turbines Mm. uh, on osage land and so the question is we have the mineral state but there's still subsurface rights Mm -hmm. so the energy is being harvested in the air but it's being transported underground the energy is actually being shipped out of state and sold by a international company so you see there's still complications where these white ranchers have leased out their land uh, white and some Osage families too, you know, yeah. but people have leased out this land. But the argument is that, you know, just like the oil, this this should be accounted within the minerals trust, you know. Yeah. So that battle is ongoing. There are, there are still lots yeah. of legal battles. And 
then there's just social concerns, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of socioeconomic problems, a lot of, uh, yeah. You know, and I thought I, it was interesting too talking a little bit about that, about, you know, you talked a little bit about the economic impact too, mm-hmm. but it goes so much, you know, and anytime we talk about a big film happening in Oklahoma, there's always a lot of talk about economic impact, which is great. Right. Like it's money that right. wasn't there before, but like it comes with its own stuff. Right. And you talk a little bit about that in the story. I say in the story that the, in a number of words, the money was a blessing and a curse because before the money arrived, our people were starving. Mm-hmm. The population was reduced by 50%. Yeah. So after relocation, the government, uh, at this time, all Native Americans were considered wards of the government. Um, and so it was their responsibility to see that on this land we were taken care of because we didn't have the resources or weren't even allowed really to take care of ourselves. So, you know, this money came at a time when it literally saved us, you know, because who knows what would have happened if the government policies had sort of skewed in the other way. Yeah. You know, so Osages were very fortunate in that. And there's still a lot of uh, families, you know, who have their land, have their head rights and they have stability. You know, today they have stability in Osage County. Uh, and then I think what this story shows is that a lot of families were really unfortunate and there's a lot of voices not represented, um, you know, people who lost their head, right? Gambling it away. Or yeah. They sold it. yeah. And these are difficult conversations to have that, you know, I think most Osages are unwilling to have these conversations, but I don't want to talk about, you know, the fortunate and the unfortunate, but I I grew up in a place surrounded by, you know, poor white people, poor indigenous people. Yeah. I saw a lot of um, addiction, you know, and just a lot of, uh, you know, you'll see there's a character in the film who's a little bit wild and, you know, I grew up with some people like that too. You know, there's a lot of tragic stories, uh, even today that I hear about back home, you know? Yeah. 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 I think it's so interesting too, how you talked about, you know, especially, you know, and you and I, you know, I've been talking, I thought it was funny the other day when uh, we realized you'd, we'd paid you for this two years ago or something like, I was like, well, we've been working on this a long time. Like, and you know, I've, you I've been, been working on this story. since. I feel like you and I have been talking about it since before COVID. I genuinely since... feel like we've had conversations going back that far. 2019 yeah. was when when you so four years four mm-hmm. years we were developing this yeah and it you know it's been getting pushed and covid and all that stuff and even like even when the writer strike started i was like oh my god i swear if we have to push this one more time i'm gonna freaking lose it like because yeah. it's been i've been so excited about doing this right um yeah. but you know we've talked a lot about one of the things that we talk a lot about is you know we're Part of our mission at the magazine is we're partially a travel magazine. That's a big part of what we do. Um, But how do you talk, you know, and I thought you did, I thought you handled this just like a Mm. total pro. I loved your, your handling of this, but talking about, you know, like you're going to see the movie and want to go. Yeah. People will, you know, um, and talking about how to do that respectfully, where to go, where not to go. Sure. Sure. And all that kind of stuff. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, I think that uh, after this call, we should talk about um, really emphasizing the tall grass prairie preserve yep. and John Joseph Matthews cabin, because yeah. 
Somewhere right here on my coffee table, I've got his book that I literally came in the mail yesterday. John Joseph Matthews. I'm going to read it. Which book? Yeah. Uh, it's not here in front of me, so I don't know. <laughs> it is his novel, Sundown, or non No, it's nonfiction. Um, I just... Talking to the Moon? No. Okay. That's <laughs> fine. But, I mean, John Joseph Matthews is mentioned in the article, but um, I would say we got to add in Tallgrass Prairie Preserve, you know? Yeah. yeah. That, that's the way to see the Osage. That's the way to really experience the place as people saw it a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it's just this, except for the wind farm, <laughs> which is not on the preserve. <laughs> right. It's just right. this unspoiled landscape. And Scorsese captures that beautifully in the film. Grant even captures that uh, in words in his book. But, you know, what did I do growing up? I left the house in Hominy, Oklahoma. I walked to the edge of town and I just spent all day out in the woods with my friends or you go out to the lake mm -hmm. and if people want to engage with uh osage culture that's a slightly different thing but if you want to engage with the place you know tallgrass prairie preserve um I, through the state you can visit the john joseph matthews cabin mm -hmm. um i didn't even mention this in the piece because i didn't want to put ideas in people's heads but you know when i interviewed our chief um chief jeffrey standing bear mm -hmm. um he mentioned that even with the release of Grant's book, people are going to the Burkhart graves and Grey Horse, you know, yeah. take rubbings. Yeah. And I mean, we're, we're a tribe with a lot of tra traditions and a lot of cultures, you know, and a, a cemetery, you know, there are cemeteries like in Paris or Rome or wherever that are tourist destinations that charge admissions prices, yeah. but literally Apple, Apple provided the money to the tribe to build a fence around that just because, you know, this is not how you want to engage with the culture and engage with the people. And yeah. there are a lot of unspoken rules. Um, sure. Dances. Our dances take place every June. Yeah. And I imagine next year, there's going to be a lot of people who come to see that, but, you know, yeah. no photos, no video. Mm -hmm. There are, there are just certain things that um, are for the tribe and are very cultural and, it's not that we're insular. It's just that we've been living this way for yeah, at least 100 years, at least yeah. since the events of the film. And uh, there are Osage businesses mentioned in the piece to frequent. But I'll just say, you know, Pasca is a beautiful town. It is. It's a gorgeous place. Are, are beautiful communities, even just making the drive out there. I'm hard-pressed to say visit Harmony, even though I'm from there. <laughs> just because the village, the village is... Uh, I don't know, just a little half mile square with yeah, and yeah, it's just a place where life happens. There's not anything touristy, yeah. yeah. That's fine. Um, but yeah, I, life, I, I thought that was really interesting, and actually, I'm glad you mentioned the dances too, because we uh, another one of our uh, the native writers we work with, Graham Brewer, wrote a story for us a while back about it was pow like powwow etiquette. Like oh. if you're gonna go to a dance, if you're gonna go to a powwow, here's how you know, as a white person or as a person who's not indigenous, here's how to. Here's how to do that with and being respectful. And so I'm going to re-up that story for our readers uh, in the coming weeks. Um, and I think I think this is something that people should see if they can. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Like um, yeah, they're beautiful thing. I mean, it's a beautiful event to to get to witness. You know, just yeah. You have to know yeah. how to do that. And you know. But in terms of education, you know, the Osage Nation Museum. Uh, yeah. And. And so that's what I tried to do with the piece is really educate people beyond the scope of Gren's book and uh, Scorsese's film. You know, there's 
there's yeah. quite a bit of overlap. I wanted to give a behind the scenes picture, but the story is so much bigger. And there, yeah. there are so many ways uh, in existing books or media to engage with the tribe. And a lot of interesting stories online that even I didn't really know until I started doing this research, you know. Wow, that's amazing. Wow. It's, it's funny, every Osage I know has said to me since this book came out, like, oh, it does. there's so much more that happened that's not in there. You know, um, yeah. there's so much more to the story even than David Grant was able to fit into his book, which is pretty big. Um, and I find that really interesting. But you mentioned I, I do want to get into this before we before we run out of time. You you got to you got a level of access. I I wanted you to do the story because I wanted I felt like this was an Osage story to tell. Yeah. Right. Um, I could you know I think, and luckily you know being in Oklahoma and knowing you and knowing Addie and knowing a few people in the Osage Nation. You know, I'm glad I'm so, so, especially now that I'm, I'm, I've read it a bunch of times and we're working right. on it and how it's coming together is I'm so excited about it. Um, and this wasn't on my mind when I wanted you to do the story. I just felt like it was an Osage. I felt like it was an Osage story to tell. And so I wanted an Osage writer to tell it. And luckily you're a great writer. Um, but the thing that I didn't think about when I was, when we talked about this was you got a level of access on this film that's yeah. a little wild like you have you've told me some absolutely wild stories about working on this and going so, like that you, was the listeners just so you know like mason went to can like he no, was a, oh that, you didn't that, that oh didn't that didn't end up happening okay he almost went to can uh yeah. yeah but you were at the premiere the new york premiere last night as we're talking yeah like you last had, night, yeah. yeah but even in pahuska you had some really amazing experiences can you talk a little bit about those yeah, I'll talk about three events, but also this is the time where I have to thank some people Absolutely. for and support. You know, one of those people is you. Like, oh, thanks. You've just given up to mention your uh, professionalism, but uh, you know, as a freelance journalist, you have to jump through a lot of hoops that I think other people have um, more immediate access or accreditation yeah. or yeah. support system. So you, as an editor, really had my oh, back on this. Nice. I think I did. You know, it helped push it to that level and get that level of access. Other people to thank, I mentioned my family earlier, my wife, Alice, because this has been a long process. You know, <laughs> 300, words, 300 words written in a period of a week, but literally years of, you know, trial and error and whatnot. I have to thank uh, the people at Apple who have been, you know, yeah. responding to my emails right away, specifically Pat Shin. Uh, Marianne Bauer, who I'll tell a story about in just a minute, Larry Kaplan, who worked with Scorsese, you know, just all of these people have been so supportive on the way, you know, our chief or Everett, all the people I've spoken to. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to center this story from the moment I pitched it around a set visit and what was going on in Pahuska and in northeastern Oklahoma when the production came to town because it was a very strange thing. It was during COVID, literally thousands of people passing through, you know, casting news every day, like, oh, we need a banjo player or, yeah. or you know, friends who are electricians who worked on the film, you know, a lot of Osage extras. Actually, so, another one of our contributing writers, Robert Reed, was his girlfriend worked on the film. He's not Osage. But his girlfriend worked on the film in some capacity. I don't know, but he's in the newest trailer. You can actually see his face. Yeah, he went up and did like a week of extra work. So 
Yeah. I, I, I mean, I wish I wish this story could have been double the length and I really could have drilled down on this, but it just went a different direction. But you know what? we I saw Pahaska and the general region just transform and, you know, you have location scouts roaming everywhere. So I wanted to give people sort of a little peek behind the veil of what was going on. And for me, that was a set visit, which is what we start the piece off with. And it's just strange and overwhelming. You know, it's overwhelming to see such a well-oiled machine, to see a $200 million production in action with, you know, arguably the biggest living American movie stars and um, and people whose careers are up and coming also. You know, like I think Jesse Plemons. Oh, he's great. He's, yeah, he's not so just a support, yeah. not just a supporting actor at this point. You know, Brendan Fraser. This happened before the whale and before, you know, this yeah. was the comeback because I think this was even filmed before, you know, Aronofsky's film was filmed. Yeah. Um, so just to be in the presence of all those people and get to witness how they work, it ruins the magic. But I hope I bring a match to the piece, <laughs> you know, because you see the the technical details and how hard they're working. And yeah. uh, well, that that opening, that opening section is like it's like a star map. I mean, like literally you're looking at in one glance, you're literally standing in this you know mock courtroom that's yeah. been set up to set. And you're looking at Leonardo DiCaprio, Brendan Fraser, Jesse Plemons, Tatanka Means, like all of these amazing people. Yeah. And I, I could have just been chatting with them. I was, I was, they were working and I was working. Yeah. So I didn't get in their way, but they're just hanging around. You know, I they were also note for our listeners that Mason did actually appear in the film. You were in the film, kind of in the background. You said you're in the background role of a courtroom reporter. So like, are you in it? Or were you just kind of there as a reporter? That's sort of a double on, that's like a- Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. That I, right. I was- For some reason I was picturing you, I should probably edit that then. I, should, I was picturing you like in the, I thought maybe they like put you in the costume. And like, no. had you, okay, had you military. Yeah, we should work on that. But uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I felt like a trial reporter because I'm sitting in the courtroom. Yeah. Sometimes I'm sitting in the pews that you see. Uh, yeah. Like, I say pews because it used to be a church, you know, but I'm yeah. like sitting in the room while they're filming at certain points, you know, yeah. and then other times I've got like an iPad and headphones and I'm watching the monitor view, which is what Scorsese sees as he yeah. directs, he directs by monitor. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, this that is was... not a level of access reporters get often. <laughs> well, the thing, the, the, the humble brag is that there's not been a reporter on a Scorsese set since Gangs of New York. Wow. Yeah, like nobody had this level of access since what's that like 2005 or something. Yeah, it's been a long Every, time. Yeah, that was shot in Rome at Chinachita and they allowed a reporter to come on and mm. hang out and uh so I wanted I wanted just to start with that. That was my idea is like get behind the scenes um and they literally only let me because I was Osage. Like that's it. You know, they were so generous to our people. They were so generous to uh, the people that got to work on this film that, uh, but then I say that in the piece, my second story is they, they really built a connection with the community yeah. and really strong, strong ties, you know, really built a bridge, went into people's homes, you know, and just uh, made a lot of friends along the way. You know, people I know are just hanging out with Scorsese now, you know? And, no, I know Addie who uh you know is her daughter like apparently has a just a standing invitation to come over to uncle marty's house whenever when she's in new york 
I saw them last night and he's <laughs> writing for one of her college admissions letters. Yeah. I, like, I think she'll get in. Yeah. Yeah. She's a cool kid. I love her to pieces. Yeah. We're talking to Addie on the podcast next week. So I'm excited about that too. Cool. And yeah. then so uh, the second story is uh, Marianne Bauer, who. This is a good story. You know, became very dear to me and my family. She just called us up and wanted to visit with my grandpa because as a researcher and producer on the film, that's what she did. Yeah. Just meet with people, tell stories, you know, talk about yeah. the past. And uh, it was it was great to connect with her on that level. And then obviously we're still in the process, but last night's premiere was, you know, a red carpet event. Um, yeah. I got to attend with my wife and... Which, just by the beautiful. way, the story it's of how really... that happened yesterday is yeah. pretty... just <laughs> yeah. tell that really quickly because the thing you texted me actually made me laugh. Well, here's a great story for the podcast. <laughs> I was not invited originally. <laughs> I was supposed to have tickets, but it just... You roll with OKT, you roll VIP. What can I say? But I, I was walking in Manhattan after a different film premiere the night before on the street with some friends. And I see an Osage woman, Lainey Maker, who worked on the film. And I said, Lainey, she was like, Mason, what are you doing here in New York? This was like upper Manhattan, like way out of my yeah. area. And she was like, I'm here for the premiere. I was like, oh, the premiere, right? Like, felt kind of, uh, you know, snubbed a bit. And, um, but I emailed, I emailed Apple like immediately and they're like, oh yeah, sorry, here's your passes. So, oh, that's nice. Yeah. And you and your wife. Pretty strange, you know, life is strange like that, but. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. But the visit. Oh, and, uh, the visit that Marianne made to your grandfather uh, before we before we run out of time, I would really love to hear. I would love for listeners to hear a little bit about that because this is a story that I I genuinely, since you told me this, and it's been well more than a year, maybe closer to two years since you told me this story, like I can't stop thinking about it. It's a really cool thing. Yeah, and actually I have all of this recorded. I have her visit recorded, but you know, it, Great. it was what a treasure it, for your family. It was a very intimate thing, you know, yeah. and uh, my grandpa was later in life than he's no longer with us, you know, so um, just you you feel special and you feel involved when, you know, something of that caliber, uh, you know, a filmmaker everyone's heard of, you know, just wants to talk to you and hear your story. Yeah. And there's just a level of generosity and uh, kindness that this production brought with it, that no matter how dark and terrible the events of the story are people can rest assured that they're telling truth and these yeah. things really happen yeah they went above and beyond in terms of use of the language costuming you know we mentioned the economic impact and as we said it remains to be seen uh what the future holds mm. for the osage just in terms of tourism engagement but yeah. i think i expressed in the piece that we'll still be here you know, no matter what, we would have been here regardless. And yeah. so. I don't want to ruin it for readers, but your last, the last paragraph of your story, Mason, actually the last line, the last few words of your story are, I feel like some of the most beautiful writing that's ever appeared in this magazine. Oh, like, thank you. Sir. Genuinely great writing. Like as we thank finish you. up our edits on this, please don't touch it. Like, cause I love it. I love yeah. it. it is. <laughs> um, but and I think, uh, it will, I mean, it's one of that, line those lines are um something that is uh that's for osages because if you know our history if you know our past um 
you you understand what that means and when you see the film when people see the film and read this together with that they'll have a deeper understanding of what i'm trying to communicate um through yeah, that absolutely and you know two there's, there's oh go ahead two last things before i guess final questions that i'd like to say it's funny at the premiere last night scorsese was sitting two rows in front of me so and a little bit to the left so i was watching him watch his own film oh, and wow. me, that, it was my second time seeing it and i would say the first time i it really hit me and i got to just um watch it passively because the yeah. first time i was working and watching him watch his own film and sometimes he brings his hands up to his face or you can tell he's overwhelmed with emotion and you know having made this and i thought that was very beautiful uh to see i just feel like these are stories your great grandchildren are going to be telling each other one day seriously i mean yeah. really like, these are big like life family things um, the last thing that I really, and we can uh, quickly kind of talk about, but there's been a ton, you talked about how hard Scorsese and everybody worked to make this connection with yep. those. Yep. And I feel like that reporting has really been out there, you know, and he's, because the actors can't talk about the movie. So he's been doing a lot of the press. And so he's talked right. about this a lot. Right. Do you think that this will, because I, I feel like this is what's happening, but I don't, I'm not in, I'm not on the inside, so I don't know. But do you feel like this will create a change in the way that, film productions and just production like cultural things in general interact with communities like indigenous communities and you know when you come to tell a story about someone that's not you because yeah. in the past hollywood has been remarkably and notably insensitive about these things i mean not not only insensitive just racist like we Straight can out. Yeah, the, the, sure. the history yeah. of hollywood and yeah i i interviewed scorsese and he talked about film history some which was very interesting but just didn't yeah. fit into the piece but the answer to your question is yes, that the changes are already happening. You know, if you look at um, Taika Waititi and Sterling Harjo's show Reservation uh, Bugs, I mean, that I tells that the, tells. The, the, I, I can't even, the, the premiere, the finale aired the other night and I haven't, I can't watch it yet. I'm not ready. I'm not ready yeah. for that to be over. So I can't watch it. So. But that's, yeah. that's the story of my childhood, you know, so there's yeah. great contemporary storytelling going on, but you know, people need to know the story just because they need to know the story. But I think that your question is the most important change that will happen is the way people approach these stories and tell these stories. And a uh, shout out to Julie O'Keefe, who I was speaking with last night, uh, an Osage woman who helped on the costuming in the film. And last night she was telling me that... Uh, you know, immediately after this production, she got called to do a Netflix series who's working with um, three different tribes. And they brought her on as a consultant. And right away, she said, no, we need to do it like this, like this, like this. And we need to take uh, a percentage of the budget for this department and give it back to the tribe and reinvest in their community and their arts. That's and said, yes. And they said yes. So something like this is profound, cool. and cutting edge. And you know, even when she was brought on for uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, they were bringing her on for like eight days, you know. And uh, she ended up staying on for, you know, the entire the entire shoot. So people are understanding that there are better ways to tell these stories and. Um, 
ways to give back to the communities. And I think that can even be true for, you know, not just indigenous people or other minorities, for communities in general, you know, like Hollywood needs to not only uh, be paying its writers and actors fairly and supporting them in the unions, it needs to be engaging with the communities where this work is taking place, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's so great that, like you said, I mean, our great, basically our greatest living director, you know, someone who is really at the apex of his abilities and his, his, his fame and his uh, esteem um, to take this on, you know, is such a big, I feel like such a big signal flag to the rest of Hollywood. Like it is time to take these things seriously. Yeah. Can I um, say it's long past time, actually, it's well, it's a hundred years past time to take these things seriously. Before we get cut off, can I say <laughs> An Easter egg I would like to leave viewers with. Totally, yes. Uh, Shout out to Jesse Gray. Great. Oh, we love Jesse. Another Oklahoma Today writer who's in the film. Yeah. (laughs) He's in the film. He's, so when Squirts, when De Niro is drafting a letter in a jail cell, uh, Jesse is sitting there writing. And I think he says like, he just looks up, he's like, yes, Mr. Hale, or yes, sir. But Jesse and I have been talking this whole time and he's been like, did they cut me? Did they cut me? But when I was at the premiere last night, they had some um, stuff from the movie and the little letter that Jesse wrote in oh. last case. And That's cool. Yeah, huh. but, I love this. Mason, this is an amazing story. I am so glad you got to tell it. Um, thank you so much for sharing your talent. I feel like, because I what I keep thinking about is I feel like you could have taken this story anywhere. And so thank you for sharing it with us and our readers and our state. Um, I know it means the world to me and it, I think it's going to mean the world to all of Oklahoma once they see the film and, and learn more about this. So thank you. I wanted to tell this story, you know, in Oklahoma and yeah. with people I trust and, you know, it was a pleasure, you know, I'm excited to, uh, you know, you kind of throw your stories out into the wind and you never really know what happens or who reads them, you know, yeah. but it awaits to be seen just yeah. like it's released. So yeah. Jason Whitehorn Powell, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We appreciate you. The issue is out soon. The movie is out October 20th. Go see it. Thank you. I'm excited for people to hear that. That was a good interview. That's a good story. I'm really excited for people to read that story. I'm excited for people to see the movie. I've been watching actually um, a lot of, you know, reaction videos. Do you guys ever watch reaction videos? Mm -hmm. I've been watching reaction videos of the trailer and kind of watching how people are approaching the story who've never heard of it, you know, and don't know what's happening. And it's it's been really interesting to kind of get this segment of, you know, people all over the country and the world who don't know about this and don't know what this movie is really about. They just know that it's Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio and all that stuff. And they're into it. They want to see it, but they don't They don't really know the history. And so to watch them kind of learn that mm-hmm. in the moment is really interesting. I will be super – I'm, I'm waiting for the, uh, like, Google search to top off on – was Killers of the Flower Moon real? Uh, because there's, I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of people yeah. who are like, "Wow, they really dramatize this," and you're yeah. like, "Nope, nope, they just they." No, if anything, story. if anything, I mean, every Osage person I know has, at one point has told me that David Grant's book undersold it. Yeah, like how bad it was, um, and how much it affected people. You know, it could ju- and it's not because he was not doing a good job. It's not that. It's just it's impossible to tell that whole story because there's so much that happened and so much bad that happened that like you really have to be judicious, or you're going to end up with a two thousand page book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, well, it's now time for us to once again plumb the depths of TravelOK.com's calendars for our weekly pod events, and first up this week is Ben. Ben. Well, my great-aunt has a saying. She always tells me, you know, Ben, my great-grandnephew, podcasting is a lot like quilting. 
Sure, when you all gather around the table, you've all got little scraps of ideas that might seem random, scattered, incoherent, but when you stitch them all together, it creates a tapestry reflecting life in all its beautiful complexity, and you feel warm at night. Yes, my great aunt Joe Rogan really has a great <laughs> way with words, and is no stranger around a loom. That's why I know she's going to go to uh, this week's Murray County Quilt Show in Sulphur. It's three-day spectacular running Thursday through Saturday at the Murray County Expo Center. It allows guests to uh, peruse quilts from a variety of local crafters and even vote on their favorite for a People's Choice Award. And if you're no quilting expert, you can relax and leave the imposter syndrome at home because a panel of real quilting judges will also be selecting first, second, and third place in the juried competition. While you're here, you can even take in some demonstrations or pick up some materials to begin quilting at home. If you're driving in from the city, uh, don't even worry about packing a lunch. Meals like a chicken salad sandwich on Thursday and pulled pork on Friday will be available on site for a $10 serving. Just keep that plate far away from my Aunt Joe's embroidered charm quilt because we're gunning for first place this year. <laughs> the hours for this year's quilt show are 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Thursday and Friday and 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Saturday. For more information, call 405-665-6310 or visit, this is the web address, chickasawcountry.com slash events slash murray-county-quilt-show. Wow. Quilting's awesome. And sulfur's awesome. Yes. Good excuse to go to sulfur and see. I, it seems so hard. It's like one of those hobbies I'm always impressed when people yes. do it because it seems so Very hard. Impressive. Yeah. Right. Uh, Carly, what's your event this week? If you're alone in the woods and you hear a banjo start to play, you should probably run in the opposite direction. <laughs> if you're in Guthrie and you hear some plucking and strumming, you're in exactly the right place, at least on October 12th through the 15th. During the International Bluegrass Festival held at Cottonwood Flats Recreation Area, the main stage will feature some of Oklahoma's finest players like the Red Dirt Rangers, John Fulbright, Matt Axton, Jana Jay, and more than a dozen others. On the Cottonwood Creek stage, the mic will be open for newcomers all day Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, with the exception of a songwriter workshop from noon to one on the final day. There also are youth band and instrument competitions, so you can meet some soon-to-be-famous musicians, as well as banjo and fiddle and guitar and mandolin workshops, so you too can discover your hidden talent. On uh, One-day tickets start at $32, and three-day passes are $99. To buy tickets or see a complete schedule, check out oibf.com. It's always a really fun event. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Nate, what's yours? Uh, corn. Uh. Corn. Our cobbed friend, wheat's crazy cousin, fattener of people, ducks, and deer alike. Corn is possibly the most versatile crop on earth, used not only for food in a million ways, I'm looking at you, tortillas, but in an uncountable plethora of other items. For example, did you know that fireworks contain corn? No. They do. The dextrin in cornstarch keeps the materials inside a firework bound together so they uh, burn and then explode at just the right time. It's a timing thing. Um, so the next time you're watching a fireworks show, shout out, thanks, corn! <laughs> Everyone around you will really enjoy that. 
<laughs> but if you just can't wait for the 4th of July, you can go thank some corn in person at Fall on the Farm at Redbird Farm in Enid. Now through October 29th, visitors can roam through a corn maze with endless twists, turns, and surprises. Or if being lost isn't your thing, browse the happy orange globes of the farm's pumpkin patch and pick out your perfect jack-o'-lantern. There's a petting zoo, a jumping pad, and a million little ways to make some great Halloween memories this year. All thanks to our friend Corn. Corn. Corn! For more information, call 580-231-8573 or visit redbirdfarmenid.com. I hear it has the juice. <laughs> uh, Megan, what do you got yeah, this good. week? Well, when it was first invented centuries ago, the banjo was frequently made from cat, dog, or goat skins with gut strings stretched over them. Fortunately, you probably won't see anybody at Banjo Fest 2023 strumming on former pets because we now have better materials to work with. If you're a banjo fan, you're going to want to head over to the American Banjo Museum in Oklahoma City to get your twang on from October 12th to the 14th. There will be a barbecue dinner and a welcome session on the first night, a Hall of Fame induction dinner and ceremony on Friday, but Saturday is when these banjos will take over Bricktown from noon to five in the Banjo Bash, featuring players like Gary Biscuit Davis, Lee mm -hmm. Floyd III, Randy Morris, Ron Hinkle, Lucas Ross, and more. For more information, visit AmericanBanjoMuseum.com. That sounds fun. It's giving banjo this week. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're banjoing a lot this week. That's fun. Lots and lots of We yeah. love Lucas. Any chance to hang out with Lucas is a oh, good yeah. time. And uh, also, just any listeners who don't know this, if you are interested in, in plucking a banjo, head to the American Banjo Museum, and they actually have a little class where they hand out banjos for people to try and just kind of get a feel for the instrument. You know, I like that. That's a good idea. Yeah. If I was going to teach a banjo class, I would get in touch with the banjo museum if I was wanting to take one. Yeah. That's who I would call, so that's smart. Yeah. <laughs> What's your <laughs> event, Greg? Well, uh, this one actually has a little something to do with you, Nate. Uh, you and I have both been playing a game from the New York Times uh, oh, lately called yes. Connections. Yes, it's melting my brain. Uh, and I thought today's event would be a fun time to try a mini round here. Uh -oh. So uh, please give me the connection, guys, between okay. these items. Paint. Corn, Micro, and Dale Rescue Rangers. Chips. That's yeah. right, we're talking about chips. Uh... <laughs> and while chips bring us so much joy in our daily lives, from enlivening our sandwiches to powering the processors on our pocket supercomputers, there's another kind of chip that will be celebrated in Warner this weekend. Chip off the old block, chips and dip. No, Warner is celebrating the least appetizing of all chips during Cow Chip Day, <laughs> which is actually two days, October 13th and 14th. You, got, you can't just cram a cow chip on one day. It's got to yeah. be, <laughs> be the whole weekend. It starts with a lively street dance, just watch where you're stepping, on Friday night, and a parade, seriously, watch where you're stepping, on Saturday. Amid this carnival atmosphere are rides, music, food, and games, but there's also a game of Cow Chip Bingo featuring a real cow. Yep. Man, you are not going to want to miss this <laughs> fun in Warner because Cow Chip Day is never a flop. Head to <laughs> facebook.com slash cowchipday for more information. That's good. Man, Man you are. Man, you are. Uh, I was so proud of myself for that one. Uh, the sound of a strained mooing means that this episode of the Oklahoma Today podcast is coming to a close. But if you just can't get enough, head to oklahomatoday.com and pick up our latest issue on newsstands right now. Send your feedback to OKTPod at TravelWithHay.com, and we'll talk to you again next week. 
The Oklahoma Today podcast is a production of Oklahoma Today Magazine and Oklahoma Tourism and Recreation Department. Your hosts are Oklahoma Today editors Nathan Gunner, Greg Elwell, Carly Ivara, Megan Rossman, and Ben Lucian. Theme song editing and production help by Oklahoma Today's production manager, Bridget Sloan. For more information, visit oklahomatoday.com. Goodbye. Banjos Bye, and corn. Banjos Thank you, corn. Uh, Thank you, corn. Remember the corn TikTok um, thing? That kid? The corn, corn kid. kid. Oh, yeah, the corn kid. Yeah. Hmm. Corn. That's what I'm saying. <laughs>